Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. We are featuring a podcast recorded on March 14, 2018, as part of PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Series. This podcast includes a discussion on foreign-derived intangible income, specifically what FDII is doing and the key considerations. The panelists include Mike DeFranzo, a PwC tax partner focusing on international tax issues, Shani Sean, a PwC tax partner also focusing on international tax issues, Paige Hill, a PwC tax partner and leader of our transfer pricing practice, and Michael Lucky, a PwC tax partner focusing on quantitative solutions. Take a listen. Okay, I would like to uh, welcome everyone to a discussion of uh, foreign-derived intangible income. I have with me Paige Hill, leader of our transfer pricing group in the U.S. firm. I have Michael Olecki, who is part of our quantitative solutions group, uh, weekends in, in Cleveland and, and lives on airplanes, and Shane Sean out of our Atlanta office and international tax partner. And I'm Mike DeFranzo with uh, PwC here in Washington. So, Paige, maybe when we, we start talking about uh, foreign-derived intangible uh, income, we start with what is it trying to do? Thanks, Mike. I mean, what this provision is really doing, you know, you can go through the calculations um, and, and the formula, um, and, you know, there's a lot of materials out there on that. What it's really doing is looking at all sources of income from both services and product sales and royalties from foreign use, um, and that's, that's defined. Uh, and it's, it's capturing that income, and you're getting uh, a beneficial effective rate on that of 13.125% when you look at, at how the deduction works. Um, and so what it's really doing is looking at, uh, you know, trying to, analogous to guilty, um, trying to reward companies for having uh, domestic sourced and produced um, services and goods that are exported um, to, to foreign markets. And so it's really an incentive for companies um, who are doing that. Yeah, but what if, uh, you know, and, and I think that was clearly the intent, but, you know, part of the mechanics of this is you start backing out what can be your foreign-derived intangible income and certain things that are come out. Obviously, um, we have a more in-depth webcast that goes through all that. But if you're capital-intensive to produce those widgets... Right, and I said see. earlier, it's analogous to guilty. And in right. guilty, you'll recall that there's this QBI, um, return, a 10% return on your qualified uh, business assets, um, where in guilty, that helps you to have a large capital-intensive base. In FDII, it's going to hurt you if you have a large capital-intensive base in the U.S. because um, it's going to reduce the amount of FDII that's potentially available uh, for, for the beneficial rate. So, Mike, it seems like uh, modeling is going to be pretty important when people are sort of pushing through these numbers and figuring out how beneficial is FDII for Yeah, I mean, for as Paige mentioned, right, I mean, there's, there's kind of, you know, mirror system between guilty and FDII. There's other provisions in this new law. There's also old provisions that have been around for 30, 50, 100 years um, that all interact with this. And so I think the modeling piece of this is going to be very important. To, to not only get into the granularity of the computation, know what your FDI number is, but also, too, how all this is going to interact with each other, how one computation could affect the next computation, and that's whole snowball effect. And so I, I think that's where, um, you know, I think this is going to be very important to look at it, not in a silo, but as, as, a, as an overall picture. I mean, that would include future investments, too. Aren't you going to have to 
put that into a model and decide? I mean, if you've got an opportunity to build a plant in the US or a plant in, we'll make it easy, Canada, um, and you're looking at what does that mean under guilty or what does that mean under FDII? Yeah, I think this is just one more decision point, right? It's just one more thing that you have to consider now when you're making those decisions. It's not going to be the sole uh, decision maker, but I think it's going to you know, influence it potentially and be something you'd want to make sure you, you have an understanding of before making that decision. Shani, there's a lot of new terms in these few pages of, of statutory language. Um, but, you know, how do we navigate and work through those? We've, we've been told by the government we're going to get regs, but we all know regs take some time. Um, so that means at best probably late, late summer, maybe spring, uh, well, excuse me, maybe fall. Um, could even be 2019. Who knows? But in the meantime, we've got to get through these provisions. So how do we get through the provisions? Yeah, and Mike, I think uh, a lot of companies are going to continue to hear this, the same answer, which is that until we do get additional guidance, I think taxpayers have to look to analogous guidance, like Paige and, and Mike were saying, um, what existing you know, authorities are out there to help taxpayers support their position. And what are some of those places are going to be looking? Sure. So, so 954 right. <laughs> in the subpart F rules um, is a great place to start that dictates, you know, rules determining the, the place of use for sales of products. Uh, you could also look to 863B um, as well as 956. So I'd love to, I'd love to hear that. And I think, you know, in our, in our uh, webcast, we've even talked about 97 and some other things too. And the reason I love to hear that is whenever you have reform as dramatic as the reform we just went through, I felt like everything I knew just went out the window. But I love hearing that I'm going to be able to look to some of that old knowledge Absolutely. and help me navigate through through this new uh, new rules. Um, so overall, we look at the policy here. I think there's some some questions about. I mean, we just talked about you know the the infrastructure investment incentives are maybe not aligned, but but there is certainly a benefit to having domestic income that wasn't there before. And so we start talking about maybe how do clients react if you're going to have a greenfield opportunity and you're going to build a new business, does it really change the decision point between opening that new new business line in the U.S. or foreign and you start to say, well, maybe I can do it here in the U.S.? Um, I think that, you know, I think it's another factor. I, I don't think it's a slam dunk because I think um, there is concern about the longevity of the provisions. There's concern about the domestic rate creeping up in any event. Um, and I will say even, you know, my experience is some of our greenfields are our most sophisticated tax planners because they're also starting fresh. And so they don't have an existing operating footprint and they're, they're very open-minded. So, um, and I think they're thinking very globally uh, in terms of, of how they're, how they're um, expanding. So, um, you know, it, it will be a data point and maybe um, it's a starting point, but I think there's also concern about ever... Um, the cost of getting intellectual property out of the U.S. You know, prospectively under the, you know, some of the additional laws that came in as well. Right. That's the revised 367 regs that came through in the last year before the, the, the statutory change. And then the door's been closed that everything's taxable pretty Everything much. Everything is taxable. Yes. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your comments uh, on foreign-derived intangible income. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.